Hey everyone, this is Ken Nelson, host of the Fresh from the Field podcast. And this is another episode and we have an exciting episode for you all today. We are talking about a hot topic and that is hemp. My special guests today are Gina Alessandri, who is the Industrial Hemp Program Director and Craig Van Buren, who is the Laboratory Division Director for MDARD. And uh, we're just gonna go ahead and jump right into this conversation. Hope you all enjoy it. industrial hemp was new to Michigan, we chose to uh, operate under the authority of the 2014 Farm Bill and actually implemented an ag pilot program in 2019. And as part of that program, it allowed growers to grow hemp and processors to process hemp as long as they had proper licensure, as long as they had a background check and as long as they signed off on a research agreement with MDARD, which basically indicated that they would be conducting research on behalf of the department. We had 500 and, or excuse me, 603 registered growers. Those growers identified 850 outdoor growing locations and more than 15,000 acres that they intended to plant on. We also had 300 indoor growing locations and over 10 million square feet uh, of uh, greenhouse space identified uh, for growing hemp. We also licensed 483 processors. Those would be individuals who were either processing industrial hemp or potentially selling hemp uh, based on language in our law. Uh, that number could also, does also include individuals who were marketing industrial hemp commodities. And we also, as part of the pilot program, required specific testing occur, and I'll let Craig answer that question. We had uh, 847 samples submitted to the laboratory. Our average turnaround times for getting information back to the growers was three days. Uh, we saw a compliance rate of 84%, which we thought was really good, uh, especially when we compared to other states who have been doing this for several years now. We were right up there with them. Well, we had very few growers actually do second tests, so which means that most growers passed on their first test. Um, some of the issues we saw, um, we, as mentioned, we didn't have very many non-compliant samples, only about 15%, 16%, um, but we did have a lot of people who were not reading the SOP, the Standard Operating Procedure, for collecting and sending in their own sample. So in the future, we want to reiterate and make sure people are aware that they check their emails, that they go to our website, that they read those SOPs. So they can submit a sample that's good and we can accept it on the first try and they can get their information back quickly. Uh, we do have information on uh, some of the most popular cultivars, uh, anything but the cherry in the name, uh, cherry blossom, cherry wine, those were the greatest uh, amount of samples that we saw come in. And then Young Sim and Boax and Wife uh, kind of started to drop off the list from there pretty quickly with Wife only having about uh, 25 samples coming in. And um, those were some of the hottest samples we saw also. We saw a lot of cherry wines failing. We saw um, a lot of cherry blossoms failing. Um, lots of stuff with cherry in the name we saw failing quite a bit. But we also had a large passing rate on those, so it was kind of hit or miss. Um, I think it depends on where the grower got their seeds or their cuttings and looking at the specific genetics before they did that. Uh, we did have some samples come in that were as high as almost 9% THC, which is well above the limit, um, all the way down to um, no THC whatsoever. We did have about uh, 15 samples that we didn't find any THC whatsoever in. 
Yeah, Public Act 641 basically defines what industrial hemp is, and the key to that definition is that it has to be 0.3% THC or less. And um, the testing then that Craig was just describing is required by law, and it helps to determine whether or not the crop that was grown is actually in compliance. So if it's 0.3% or less, it's in compliance, and then that grower can then harvest that crop and, and send it to a processor for further processing and marketing. If the crop exceeds the 0.3% or if in, the, in the case of our numbers for 2019, 0.39 because of the truncating of those right. analysis results, uh, the, the law actually only allows for destruction of the crop. And destruction would basically be destroying the crop. Um, we did have growers who elected to do that destruction without MDARD ordering it. And a lot of that reason is because of, because this was a learning year for us, um, we had a lot of growers plant very small acreage. So if a grower, for example, planted a quarter of an acre, an eighth of an acre, they sent their, their test in, it came back non-compliant. They just chose to destroy it and uh, provided detail to us in terms of that destruction. So we didn't actually have any orders issued in 2019, but the law at this time and in the foreseeable future will only allow for either a compliant crop to be harvested, non-compliant crop needs to be destroyed. The biggest change is now we know what USDA's interim final rules say. Those rules um, will help states develop their state hemp plans for approval. And uh, they, were, they were published on October 31st, two-month public comment period. That public comment period is now closed. And we know that we have to be in compliance with, with what's in the federal interim federal rules by October 31st of 2020. Some of the things identified in the rule um, are related directly to the thought process that if it's non-compliant, if hemp is non-compliant, it is therefore marijuana, and anybody who's handling it needs to be registered with the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. So that means uh, the interim final rules are requiring that only DEA registered laboratories be allowed to analyze the samples, again, because USDA is saying they might be marijuana. It's requiring that only DEA authorized individuals be the ones that can actually collect samples and that DEA authorized individuals have to witness destruction of non-compliant crops uh, in accordance with the Controlled Substance Act. The interim rules also um, go into a lot of detail on testing standards, uh, things like um, requiring a measure of uncertainty be um, part of the analysis side of the program and that this measure of uncertainty be documented on all reports. Um, what else related to laboratory stuff? Um, measure of uncertainty, DEA registered labs, MDARD inspectors collecting samples. Uh, there's also a 15-day harvest window required in the interim rules, which is really no different than what our law currently reads. 
but is something that some growers have a concern over because it not it's it may not be enough time for some growers depending on how much acreage they've planted. One thing they did do is they did clarify uh, Delta 9 THC and THC acid and they are now saying that it is total THC that has to be taken in, into account. So if the sample is not decarboxylated first, which means it um, changes all the THC acid over the Delta 9 THC, then you have to add those two components together. You add the Delta 9 plus 0.877 times the THC acid. Um, so that's a clarification that they made. Um, and looking at the measurement uncertainty, right now Michigan, we're truncating at uh, 0.39, so we truncate off that second digit. So anything 0.39 would be considered 0.3 and passes. Uh, our uncertainty currently is 0.08, so you won't see a whole lot of change in the results or the passing or failing of samples. So currently, with uh, growers bringing in their own samples, they're required to bring it in in a paper bag just to prevent moisture and mold from potentially uh, growing on the product or on the sample itself. Uh, it comes into the laboratory, we open it up, we check it, make sure that it is a large enough sample for the plot that they have identified. Uh, then goes into drying pans and goes into a drying oven for two hours at uh, 95 degrees Celsius. From there it goes to uh, a homogenation where we take the entire sample and we grind it all up and we take a small sample from that, um, check to make sure the moisture content is below 17%. If it is, it is then good to go on to the next step where we um, mix it with methanol and we do a shaking and extraction and that extraction is what is used to put into our gas chromatograph and tested for THC and CBD content. It might still be a little bit early to tell. Um, the new licensed year began on November, excuse me, December 1st and you know that time of the year a lot of growers were still in the process of drying their crop. Um, I think at that time a lot of them are still deciding whether or not they want to continue growing in 2020. I think there are a number of factors that may be um, slowing down what would normally be an, a normal renewal. Uh, Craig's team uh, handles all the licensing and we're probably at about, what, a half of what we... Just about half, right? We have 310 registered growers right now. Right, so we're, you know, we're about half of what we ended up with at the end of 2019. So, I don't know, it's hard to predict. I know a lot of growers are still anxious and are excited about the 2020 season. I have heard from others that they're, they're gonna hold off until all of the federal rules and the laws are updated. I think um, there are a few that are um, a little nervous about the uh, compliant or not, you know, all or nothing sort of approach to this crop um, because that could, could uh, impact them significantly if they ended up having to destroy their entire investment. So it would be really nice to have a crystal ball to be able to predict um, that, you know, that number, but it's difficult. Right, yeah. I think the biggest change is right now with Michigan's law, they get three chances to pass the THC content. When the interim final rules go into effect, they get one chance and one chance only. They either pass or fail. It's all or nothing. So that may be a little scary for, for growers at this time. Yeah, that was something that was very uh, noticeable for the 2019 season. That is, is that this is a very labor intensive crop, especially for those growers who are growing it for CBD uh, because that's all hand harvested. Uh, growers who are growing for fiber or for grain can use traditional ag equipment like combines and, and can harvest 
you know, more easily, but anything that's um, being grown for CBD is, has to be harvested in a more gentle way so that you're not damaging the flowers and the buds. And that was primarily hand harvesting. I know weeds, weeds uh, gave growers fits this year as well because you know weeds are going to compete with the nutrients and water and you know so growers are going to want to pull those out and they don't use chemicals for the most part on hemp so they're pulling weeds by hand hiring high school students and everybody else that they can to walk those fields pull weeds rogue males so it is a very labor intensive crop and you know does require growers to be very attentive of what's, what's going on in their fields to make sure that they're staying uh, compliant with that THC level, that they're not risking um, their crop with pollination issues if they do end up having male plants in with the, uh, the females and staying on top of the weed pressures. The pollination isn't, isn't necessarily gonna cause a higher level in THC. Pollen can travel very far. I've read anywhere from seven to 10 miles. And uh, it's wind borne, you know, the wind blows it. Uh, it's a concern for not only hemp growers, but mar marijuana growers as well. But it's a tough issue. I don't know how you solve it. Um, the, uh, you know, you, d you definitely don't want a male pollen to pollinate a, a CBD crop because that will then force the plant to stop producing flowers, start producing seeds, and you want the flower production for the THC, or excuse me, for the CBD purposes. So um, it's, it's a difficult situation, don't quite know how to resolve it uh, when, you, when you consider the fact that it's windborne and you know, growers can choose to plant what they want. The law doesn't restrict what they can plant where and for what purpose. So, you know, growers are gonna need to be diligent about knowing what's going on around them, about having good relationships with their neighbors. And really, the only folks considering getting into hemp are those that are willing to put the time and energy and effort in to make sure that they're not causing problems for others by, by having male plants present in, a, in their CBD fields. Right, and a lot of the stories we're hearing is, even though farmers may have purchased what they were told were feminized seeds, they were, were still getting quite a few males within their, within their fields and having to do a lot of manual work to remove those males. So what, what kind of, um, I know this is newer, as far as the growing and processing um, the hemp, I remember I went somewhere, um, it was a farm, and they had certain equipment. They said, this is specialized equipment. Um, and it was pulling the buds off, I think, of the, of the, um, the leaves. But they, they said there's not many of those, and the industry is, is so new. Um, so have, have there been any, I guess, anything you can, you can share with people about any equipment and things that companies are doing to create to help with, the, with, with harvesting hemp, um, the processing? Can you talk about that? Well, I don't know of anything specific, but clearly production processes and equipment need to evolve and will evolve with the crop. I think there's a lot of experimentation going on right now with how existing farm equipment can be used, either retrofitted and used to work with hemp, everything from direct seeding to harvesting at the end of the season. 
the process that you were referring to is, I think, called debuck debucking, um, where they're actually removing the, the dried leaf material from the stems and stalks of the plant. I have not seen uh, or heard of any uh, silver bullet that would make that less labor intensive. Uh, I am aware that you know this crop has to be dried after it's harvested, and I've seen both ends of that spectrum. I've seen it hung upside down in pole barns. You saw that as well, all the way to um, you know a couple million dollar drying um, piece of a machinery that had very large uh, tunnels or ducts where it basically mixed the hemp around in a drying sort of a environment and um, so I think there's a lot of experimentation going on out there. I think there are equipment companies that are looking at developing new tools not only for the harvesting but for you know some of the um, lab side of things you know I've heard we've heard of um, mobile and on-site sampling kits and we've heard of um, you know different uh, I actually had a request recently for somebody who wanted to send a sample amount of hemp to a, an equipment company so that they could test uh, a, syst or a new piece of equipment that they're developing. So I think it's gonna occur and will take a, a couple years until we have things in place that will make it less labor intensive for our growers. But I think where we're at right now is to be expected based on how new this is for our growers. I would encourage people if they're interested in growing or processing to sign up for the listserv to get updates. Uh, that's where most of the updates come through to everyone. Um, if they are currently licensed or registered, make sure you have a valid email address that you've provided to MDARD so, and regularly check that. Make sure that we're not in your spam list because any information that is coming out, whether it be from our accounting service center for billing or um, results, those all come through email. And I guess I would just reiterate that for the upcoming growing season for 2020, we'll continue to operate under an ag pilot program under the authority of the 2014 Farm Bill. Behind the scenes, uh, we're working on updating our law and we will uh, work, that, or work the law through the legislature with a goal of having a hemp plan submitted sometime this summer so that it can be approved uh, well in advance of that October 31st compliance date. So pretty much status quo for 2020, but 2021, it will look very different for anybody that's been involved in you know, the 2019 program, the 2020 program. 2021 will look very different because that's when we will be in compliance with the interim rules. I would say do, uh, we wanna make sure people know that November 1, we have to be in compliance ourselves. So if they can to get their crop harvested and submitted to the laboratory before November 1st. It's in their best interest uh, to plan that way, plan accordingly. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Fresh from the Field podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode about hemp, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.